0: Hi all, good to be back. I know I was here several months ago, and two weeks ago, I, I know that most of you are in Korea, actually. So, good to be back. I don't know if you're like me, I, it doesn't feel like 2020. I don't know, it's been already 12 days, but I still live in like 2018, I don't know. I, I can't remember what I did, 2019, time passes so fast. But it's so good to know that, wow, you know, Pastor Ken shared, wow, Blessing others, you know, a simple thing, but as Christians, we kind of forget to do. I know there's some churches doing like, uh, you know, pay for type of thing, go to McDonald's and pay for someone, bless others and surprise people. But uh, that's a really good, you know, uh, I a new thing that we can do 2020, bless others. For me personally, 2020, I, I made simple resolution. One is... It's kind of embarrassing as a pastor. I don't carry Bible, especially even when I speak. I usually carry my tablet or my phone, but 2020, I have this thing where, okay, I'm going to, whenever I speak, I'm going to try to, it's kind of uncomfortable because it's thick and big, you know, uh, but okay, I'm going to try to carry my Bible, because many Christian leaders are committing 2020 to be the year of Bible. I think, uh, I don't know if you heard of Passion. It's a big conference with, I think there was like 65,000 students in Atlanta a few weeks ago. They declared, you know, Francis Chan to Rabbi Zacharias or guys like Louis Giglio, they declared, well, wow, this is the year that we're going to really value and dwell in God's Word. So... Embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't carry my Bible with me even on Sunday, but this is my commitment. But uh, this morning, um, you know, we printed this out because I know some of you don't have your Bible. It's okay. Some of you have your phone. But, you know, another thing about commitment that I'm making because I do speak here and there, but I said, well, I'm going to try my best to give broader context of the passage where I'm going to speak. So today, we're going to talk about Christ's presence in the midst of chaos based on Matthew chapter 14. But before that, another commitment I made is, well, if there's a worship service, I'm hoping, at least the churches that I work with, there's about, what, 300 churches within our denomination that I serve. We're hoping that many churches will make a risk and maybe 10%, I mean, 10 to 20% of our worship time, if we can spend time on really listening to God's word. Now, we know that worship is really listening to God's word, but statistics shows rarely, very few churches are doing that. I know Togamza is really into that. Every morning in this place, 5.30 last year, they simply listen to scripture. That's amazing. You know, uh, I know starting from tomorrow. I know uh, Elder Chang has committed to show up every day. I know he shows up, but preach ten minutes and also listen to scripture. So that's this is really awesome. So can we spend a few minutes together this morning? I'm going to give you a context of passage that we're going to listen, uh, which is Matthew chapter four, thirteen and fourteen. I'm going to speak on one of the latter part of chapter 14, uh, particularly verse 22 to 33. But um, by, by reading broader passage in the context, we understand from big picture perspective, right? You know, some, sometimes we, we have a very narrow, uh, you know, f- to focus on just that passage or verses, but we're going to have more of a bird's eye view, over 10,000 feet above and try to understand, okay, what is this guy named Matthew trying to communicate? Now, Matthew, there are how many Gospels in the Bible? Four Gospels, right? Particularly these are the witnesses who have heard Jesus or heard from others about Jesus and written down a record of what he said, what he did. So it's an eyewitness account of what Jesus did Matthew, particularly, as you know, was a tax collector, like today's version of our, you know, IRS, like accountant or something, right? But he became a disciple. And Matthew, as, you, as he writes, particularly focused on Jewish audience. Jewish people who knew Jesus but didn't accept Jesus as their Messiah, where they've been waiting for hundreds of years. So Matthew Begins with genealogy of Jesus. I mean, if you start reading Matthew, some of you have done that. It's just names of people, you know. Uh, but wow, Matthew's trying to communicate. He Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, the King David. Along with that, there's some messed up people too. But this king line of Jesus, and as he moves into chapter five. Matthew writes about Sermon of Mount, right? Which is this Jesus figure, the kingly figure, explaining about what's called kingdom of God. Okay? So, it moves on. And we're going to read actually a little bit of chapter 13, uh, entire chapter 13 and 14. I'm going to sit down. uh, And hopefully you get a little bit of bird's eye view of what we're going to look at, particularly chapter 14. Now, bird's eye view... I have almost perfect wife, you know, she's beautiful, she's patient with me, you know, but I say almost perfect because she has no sense of direction, actually. Uh, and some of you are young, you know, there were a time where, you know, there's no, there was no navigators, actually, navigation in the car. I mean, we used to have like, not even our phone, we used to have like these uh, devices, Tom and Tom Tom or whatever yeah but this like GPS system but this is like way before that there was well there was thing called map paper map you know people figure out which is north south but my wife has no sense of direction anybody like no sense of direction okay usually it's woman but hey it's okay Um, but one time I mean you know we were visiting my parents to Brea and coming back home we live in Valencia back then um I was tired, so my wife decided to drive. And she's driving, and I, I assume that she knows how to get back home. But took she took 57 north. I fell asleep. I, I woke up late, you know, I don't know how long. We're in Palm Springs. <laughs> so she took 57 north. Instead of going west of 10 freeway, she took east. Ended up in, because she has... No sense of direction, meaning bird's eye view. She just in you know, knows, you know, exactly, you know, where she is about, but she doesn't have the big picture. Now, sometimes we are like that. When we read a scripture, we need to have a bigger perspective. So it's a little difficult to listen to. We're gonna to listen to about ten minutes of scripture. Is that okay? Well, it's if it's boring, it's not my fault. It's God's fault, right? <laughs> But this is a recording of Matthew, especially chapter 13 deals with parables concerning kingdom of God, all right? And chapter 14 talks about beheading of John the Baptist. Now, if you listen to this audio thing, it's, you know, they have some, like, sound effects and it's kind of cheesy, but it's okay. Still, it's God's word. And then we're going to move into uh, the section where there's a storm and Peter walks in the water. Uh, so it's that, that story. So let's, let's really empty our hearts, ask God to remove distraction, because this is a reading of God's Word. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to just ask, invite Holy Spirit to speak to us as we listen to God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a 2020, a new start. Uh, Lord, we, we start with anticipation of what you will do in this new year. But right now we ask you to just help us to listen to you and help us to remove all the distractions in our mind and just completely empty our hearts and just fill it with your word. So Holy Spirit, pray that you will help us to understand these words as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
1: On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables.
2: Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Another parable he put forth to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest... I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was
1: all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him. Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He
2: who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea, and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down, and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age." The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Yes, Lord. Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old.
1: Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them,
2: A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his
1: own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the
0: Baptist. He is risen
1: from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced (laughs) before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said,
0: (laughs) Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter.
1: And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus when Jesus heard it he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself but when the multitudes heard it they followed him on foot from the cities and when Jesus went out He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him.
0: This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes
2: away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves and two fish. Bring them here to me.
1: Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Oh, It is a ghost! They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them.
2: Be of good cheer! It is I! Do not be afraid!
1: And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you,
0: Command me to come to you on the water.
1: Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out.
0: "Lord, save me.
1: And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well.
0: Amen. I was so nervous. Oh, it's going to work. Let's give a big hand to our sound guys. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we kind of saw a glimpse of what was happening once again. But Matthew is talking about how, once again, Jesus the Messiah, establishing His heavenly kingdom on earth, actually. And then he talks about the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom. So he introduces about this new kingdom, and they continued to speak. In chapter 13, we heard various parables about Jesus talking about kingdom of God. Moving in chapter 14, I'm going to particularly zoom into the passage, verse 22 on chapter 14. And then 33, which is about Peter walking on the water, which many of us heard about the story when you were in, you know, Sunday schools. But the story, if you can kind of zoom into that, verse 22, chapter 14, several things happen, okay? This is, once again, after when? Jesus feeding up 5,000. That was a big event. Now, that's just counting men. Unfortunately, back then, they just counted men. But, including children and women, there probably were at least 15 to 20,000 people. So, a big miracle happened. Jesus feeding all these people. And then verse 22, after that event, we see immediately Jesus makes disciples to go to the other side. And then what we heard of disciples facing this major, big storm in the middle of, it's not like Pacific Ocean, but still, it was a big body of water, like seven miles from one side to the other. So it's a pretty pretty big place. Uh, So they are facing this major storm, and they... They were terrified because they thought they were going to drown, okay? Uh, So a story kind of, you know, I just want to focus on briefly explaining what was happening. And Jesus appears to them and saying, well, be of good cheer. It is I. Uh, Do not be afraid. I'm going to explain about that phrase briefly later. But once again, it's a story of what had happened to these disciples who have experienced God's miracle, but now... Only after a few hours later, okay, half day later, uh, they thought they were going to die. The focus of the story, I want to ask you with this question. In this verse 22 to 33, what was happening, where do you find yourself among those characters? Okay, this was a very sacred moment for many of them. But there's uh, disciples who were in the boat, terrified. There's a character called Peter who I guess literally, I don't know, we can't verify, but literally he walked on water. It doesn't say how long, but, but at least people believe that. And Matthew wrote it. So, but, and then still, they were so terrified that they saw Jesus' figure, but they thought that was a ghost. You know, that's what happens when you're so terrified and fear. You see things, right? But they, they thought that they were seeing a ghost, but Je- it was Jesus' And then later, disciples worship Jesus. Now, that's a kind of summary of the story. Where do you see yourself as one of the characters in that passage? I want to begin with that question. But somehow, Matthew writes this word immediately several times. If you can kind of browse through that. He says, immediately, immediately, and immediately but there's another word that i like to focus on. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples to go to the other side. Huh. Picture Jesus on the shore where the disciples got on the boat and Jesus kind of pushing them out into the middle of the lake, saying, go to the other side. So Jesus sent them into the lake. Jesus made the disciples to go. Now, that's a very important word because now there's a lot of questions. Did Jesus cause the storm then? I don't know. But certainly it says Jesus made the disciples to go into the middle of the lake to the other side, knowing the major storm's coming. Now, disciples were pretty good at, you know, predicting weathers because some of them are what? Fishermen's. Right? And then, from what we know, although they were fishermen, they preferred to stay near the land. They didn't go into the deep sea because that's where people were afraid of. Now, in the ancient writings, where do all the monsters come from? Deep waters. So these ancient people, they were afraid of going into anywhere deep. They stayed in the nearby the shore to fish, but somehow, Jesus made them to go the other side, knowing the storms are coming. Disciples had no idea, but they just listened to Jesus to go the other side. So the word, why did Jesus send them into the storm? That's my question. The question today, well, there are things that happen in life. We call that sometimes chaos. Uh, we don't know why that happens, but does God cause that? Does God cause these problems in the world? Even C.S. Lewis wrote about evil in the world. Did God cause it? Does God really make these things happen? I don't know, but I think for sure, God knows these things are happening for many Cases It's because of human responsibility. We make bad choices. But somehow God allows His people to go into the middle of the chaos. Isn't that true? There's a thing called fear. Uh, there's a thing called chaos. There's a thing called uncertainty. The world doesn't like it. That's why in the world we create order. We create system. We create rules. And we also create expectations. Imagine a world where we're just living in chaos. Imagine if there's no street lights. There's no traffic laws. Imagine there's no such thing as contracts, promises, uh, commitments, and covenants. No, these are all important things because as human beings, we hate chaos, right? So we we make things, systems, and order. However, Life In life, there's many unpredictable things that happen. And the metaphor storm really represents that. It's chaos. It creates fear. And it creates a lot of uncertainty. It's all around us. I want to give you some examples. Of what had happened even this week alone. You heard news. I mean, this flight that was leaving Tehran into... The capital city of Ukraine, 176 people, they were on board. Did these people know what was happening? They did, actually. (laughs) I don't know if you heard, read the news. There was one lady, 20 minutes before the flight was to take off, she was so concerned something was going to happen. So she called her husband in Canada. She was one of 76 Canadians that have, you know, was in the plane. All 176 people have died. But she called her husband. She was, she doesn't think it's going to, I mean, she's going to make it back, to back home. She, for 20 minutes before the whole thing happened, she called her husband and her husband assured her, oh honey, don't worry, it's going to be all okay. It'll be okay, you'll, you'll come home and it's going to be all right. But 20 minutes later, the flight went down. Now we know because of a missile, maybe a mistake, right? But she wrote in her Instagram, she took a selfie and she wrote these things. She was so concerned. She was uncertain, but she knew something was going to happen 20 minutes before I'm leaving. But what's behind me worries me. She's thinking about her husband and maybe her family Behind me, behind me, she wrote in Instagram, I'm scared for the people I'm leaving behind. Well, did she really know what was going to happen? Well, she kind of sensed something, but she had no idea. But this just happened this week. At 4.45, I'm taking a flight this afternoon. Uh, I, I think it's going to be okay, but I hope. Um, Well, but every time we get on a plane, sometimes you have, uh uh-oh, I don't know. (laughs) But that's called storms, chaos, fear, uncertainty. How about in Australia? This week or past three months, well, this fire is out of hand. As of what I know, a few days ago, uh, 24 people have died, 25,000 koalas burnt, 2,000 homes Still about 120 different fires are burning. I know about fire because I live in Valencia. Every year, this is like annual event. But wow, some, I mean, even this year, it's not just Valencia. Wow, it's Porta Ranch. It's Westwood again, Bel Air, Brea. Well, we kind of know that it's happening during October or November season when it's dry season, wind is blowing. But do we really... Can we really predict what's going to happen? Well, stuff happens. It's called chaos, storms, uncertainties. It just happened to my friend, good friend, who is like four years younger. Uh, just happened right after Thanksgiving. A guy named Danny Kwan. He's like the oldest youth pastor. He's been serving at this one church for about 25 years in the East Coast. Something has happened to his heart. He went in for heart attack surgery because he was having a heart attack. During the surgery something went wrong. Liver failure. Uh, Some of his organs not working. So, he literally was this close to death. He was in intensive unit for three weeks. He's back hope now, praise God. But he's learning to talk again because he can't talk. He's learning to walk again. Now, little did we know a month ago, this has happened. Did he really know what was going to happen? In fact, his wife is going through chemotherapy for cancer. Wow. These are what we call storms of life. You may lose your job or you may not get that job. If your parents like me, oh, I'm glad that my kids are not in trouble yet. But oh yeah, there are times where kids are in trouble, a big trouble. If you are in a relationship, oh, that means, oh, yeah, anything can happen. Your spouse cheat on you. He or she don't like you anymore. It's called storms of life. And storms hit. The sky grows dark. Winds begin to blow. Waves of adversity crashes over. Our little boat called life. Perhaps you're like these disciples. You've been priding yourself that you're tough. You can handle these waves. But maybe you really haven't seen the big storm. You thought you were tough, but you're not that tough. You're terrified, here it says. You lost control of the boat. You felt so threatened that you begin to see things. Water leaping up from all around pulling you down, and you thought, this is it. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, it happens time to time. Hey, we we live in LA. Uh, We haven't had real earthquake for a while, right? But I remember 88, 92, 97, I was there. Oh, when it began to shake, It's not funny, right? I was in 92. I remember I was with a bunch of other pastors, like seven other pastors, having a late night discussion. We're serving this campus ministry. So we were, I think Earthquake happens like 4.30, 5 in the morning. Just like before some of you were born, actually. I was at a hotel down in Orange County. These are a bunch of pastors, right? Seven guys. We kind of fell asleep, Earthquake and... Oh, my God! We were like screaming, "Oh, earthquake, wake up, wake up!" We we're holding our hands. Oh, we were like, "God is in control, Don't worry, guys. No, we were crying, "Oh Lord, save us!" because it was one of those like rolling earthquakes. It was scary. Well, when we lose the control of our lives, we don't know what to do now there are some lessons that we can learn from this story quickly, I want to go over just Three, I mean, three things that we can remember. First, God changes us. Or he challenges us through disruptive and unexpected events. We don't know why it happens. Certainly, I don't think God is the cause of that, but He allows it. For some reason, He pushes us into the middle of the big body of water into the storms. I know some are having difficult time financially. Some have already lost the business. My friend got a layoff pink slip. He was working at Walgreens for a long time as a pharmacist. These things happen, but why does God cause that? Well, I don't know, but God allows it for some reason. But we know from the scripture for what. He allows that to happen because for correction and for perfection. Correction is to awaken, to discipline, and to get our attention. Perfection, to build our character in us, to deepen our faith, and make us more sensitive to the sufferings of others. Did you know when there are more people in church, especially in Southern Cal, after a big earthquake. A lot of people come to church because they're awakened. Uh Oh, I better confess my sin. So right after earthquake, show up and check it out. Churches are filled all over Southern Cal because they're awakened, right? But yeah, God uses these things to, yeah, get our attention, build our character. They're saying that without... Squeezing, there's no oil. Without pressing the grapes and just stamping on it, there's no wine. Without crushing the flowers, there's no fragrance. There's no real joy without deep sorrow. So when difficult things happen in life, when God allows that to happen, maybe there's a reason for it. Number two, it's interesting that immediately Jesus made them to, to this happen. Why? Because he's sending them to what? The other side, right? In a sense, it's a journey. What is the other side? Well, I think second principle that we can learn from this is that in the midst of fear, God calls us to get out of our comfort zone. Right? Imagine this just happened night before or day before was a big celebration of with twenty thousand people feasting, the biggest miracle of feeding up thousands of people. But happened right after that. Why? Why? Probably disciples thought that wow, this is gonna be great for the rest of our lives. We're gonna live without any problem because God just Jesus just fed twenty thousand people with almost nothing. But this happened, right? They were thinking, well, maybe they have the future all lined up, comfortable. But no, this passage happened after that. Well, when difficult things happen, uh, because God wants us to come out of that comfort zone, and certainly Peter came out of that boat, right? Whether, although the rest of the disciples didn't. The boat represents what is safe, the boat is secure, it seems secure. The boat is comfortable at least for a while. The water looks pretty rough. Waves are high, winds are strong, and sometimes we want to stay inside the boat. But when storms happen in life, Jesus tells what Peter, come out. Peter goes out. I don't know how long, but he experienced a miracle walking on water. Well, throughout the Bible, this has become an example of how God uses the same pattern again and again. He calls people out of their comfort zone. We see the story of Noah, who built the ark, where for many, many, many years, there's no rain, but God still tells them, hey, still build the ark. Story of Abraham tells us that Abraham... Went Simply, he just went without really knowing where he was heading because God told him to go. Story of Joseph. He was betrayed by his own brothers, sold as a slave, lived in prison for the sin, crime that he didn't commit. But his faith and character were shaped there. Story of Moses who trusted God. God does not lead us into the comfort zone but often God pulls us out of the comfort zone to follow Him. And that's been the story of disciples. They came out of the comfort zone. Sometimes, you know, you wish that, oh, you could just stay within your comfortable zone and you just enjoy life, but it doesn't happen. In fact, in every human being, You know that you are intended for more than simply sitting around and doing nothing. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But you just know deep inside, no, I was made for more. How can I serve? How can I make a difference? Well, that's when God called you out of that comfort zone. Some of you went to Korea. Well, you could have just enjoyed your Christmas season here. Maybe you enjoyed Christmas season in Korea, but you still went to orphanage, saw these kids, maybe experienced, met people who are suffering, and you did something about that. You came out of your comfort zone. And there's a book called um, "Come Out of Your Belt" by a guy named John Orberg, great pastor. He said that the decision to grow always involves a chance between risk and comfort. Get that? A decision to grow always involves a chance, a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a follower of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. Well, that's really the opposite of the world, right? Right? The world tells you, get a better job, make more money, right? Find a better spouse for what? So that you could simply be comfortable. Oh, that's the reverse value of God's kingdom. God calls you out of the comfort zone because you are made for more. Disciples, uh, learn the lesson here. The important thing is, I think, lesson number three. Most important lesson out of this text. In the midst of storm, you can see who Jesus is. Now, I want to put this in the context. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, Moses encounters God, right? And God gives his name or explains who he really is. And God says a famous word, I am that I am. My voice is not deep. You know enough, but the "I am" that I am, or the "I am" is a very important word of Old Testament. Now, verse twenty-seven, when Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage," while disciples were all terrified, when he said, "It is I," that's the exact same word. Now, Greek version of Old Testament. Old Testament is written in Hebrew language, but Greek version of Old Testament, I am that I am of Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, is translated exactly as say, ego, Amy, which is I am, or it is I. I Now, this is very important word of Old Testament. God tells His people, I am. New Testament Jesus says this, especially the Gospel of John, many, many times. Now, if I wish we had time to listen to the whole book of John, verse six, chapter 6 through chapter 15. Eight, I mean, number of times. I am the what? Bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. Now, same word Jesus too sells to these disciples who were terrified. I am. What happens after that? What happens? Verse 32. Disciples worship Him. Oh, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, the reason why we read the whole chapter 13 even we should have read, you know, read chapter twelve too. It all leading up to now. Chapter thirteen is the first half of Matthew. Second half of Matthew begins chapter fourteen. This is a tipping point where disciples simply follow this Jesus figure. But it's leading up to this moment as Jesus is explaining about the kingdom of God. You know what is what Jesus? What it means when Jesus said, "I am." saying, I am that King, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And then Matthew continues on, following this Jesus. You are the true Son of God. And then how does Matthew end? Make disciples of all nations of my kingdom. Matthew ends with that. You know, this is an important statement. Because when storm happens, When it becomes so chaotic, you are so paralyzed because you are in fear. You think you're tough, but we're never tough enough for what the world will throw at us. But good news is we have Christ. Now, I found this quote. I had to do some reflection because this was so true. Someone said, my fear is that eventually you will see the way I really am. Now, this is a big statement, especially for those who are dating, right? You kind of, during dating phase, it's okay because you don't show everything about you. But once you are married, oh, you see everything. Uh, 5.30 in the morning, seeing your spouse. Uh, 5.30, 6 in the morning. Oh, yeah, men, we fart. Oh, yeah. People have bad breath, six in the morning. When real real you comes out, right? So this is the biggest fear. Our fear is that eventually you see yourself as you really are. Now that's what happened to Peter. He took a risk, came out of the boat. but what did he see? He saw himself, right? He's drowning. He's seeing the waves, circumstance, the wind, and oh, I'm drowning. The biggest fear is sometimes it's us. But the good news is, out of this passage, we learn it is not I, but it is he, right? It is he who reaches out, oh, you men of little faith, follow me, right? These storms, I'll take care of it. This chaos, you are in the middle of it, but I am that I am. So following Jesus happens after seeing who he is in the midst of the storm. Amen. So I don't know as you enter 2020 what you're facing. But hey, don't look at the waves. It's scary. Or don't look down at your feet. Or even don't look at yourself. See Christ who is faithful. See this Christ. He is the king of this kingdom. And then he will do wonders through your life. I love this passage and I wish we can really... um, Meditate, you know, this passage that Israelites people, they sang as they journeyed towards Jerusalem. I love this passage because it says, you know, I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? I ask you that question. Where does your help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. He will not let your foot slip. both now and forevermore. Amen. Can we pray? Almighty God, oh, the world is crazy. Stuff happens without any warning. The wind is strong. The storm is raging against this little boat of life. But Lord, give us the faith to see the Savior who is close by and who reaches us. So may we this week remember this. And as we feel like we're drowning, Lord, save us. And then we thank you for the cross. We thank you for who you are as a king of the kingdom. In Christ's name we